Welcome to the Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, today your Midweek editors are, as always, Liz Lumley, and we're joined again by one of our favorites, Anita Hauser, our European editor. Hello. Hello. We're reunited, and it feels fabulous. You're always on when there's crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no I'm... A- I bring doom and gloom wherever I go. No, well, we'll we'll get into it. But um, as our listeners know, the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future Banker stories. So, Anita, the sun is shining here in London, and the FT uh, today told its readers that the fashionable color of choice for summer cocktails is now swimming pool blue. It's like it's like those slushies when you were kids. I was never a big fan of the slush, I must say. I, I normally would, would not go for um, a blue cocktail, but they did uh, have a picture of a turquoise margarita that looked a bit tasty at 10 o'clock this morning, but I have to just imagine what it tasted like. I've obviously missed it, <laughs> but I love, I do love margaritas. And yeah, I could be tempted to drink a, a blue margarita. <laughs> Very Proof that not everything that we talk about is banking related, but this was in the FT, so they're just... They're just downstairs. Anyway, so we since we usually start with content live on The Banker, we're not going to do that today. Um, again, that's why we were talking about cocktails. Uh, but today, let's start with a story you, Anita, just finished. Um, and this is this will be our May cover story. So how does that fit into the chaos we've been living in over the past few weeks? The banking saga that we are calling it. Well, it kind of does and it kind of doesn't. To a certain extent, it's it's posing this question of what is a bank? And I think this is something, the lines between banks and non-banks have become increasingly bl- blurred as a result of technology and also regulation like open banking. So you have a lot of new entrants, uh, non-banks, fintechs, e-money institutions, offering services that look and feel and possibly smell like a bank. But even, even like banks, I mean like Silicon Valley Bank, what was a bank, right? But filled with people that maybe being not generous don't have a huge amount of banking experience i mean i think in the first part of the story i talk about this blurring of lines between banks and non-banks and and in africa you've got telco operators Mm. that are offering obviously mobile wallets and the banks are being forced to connect to these telcos And you'd have to say there's a huge unbanked population in Africa. Mm -hmm. So most people, when they think of a bank, wouldn't necessarily automatically think of a bank as we would. But interestingly, as a result of the banking saga, this fractional reserve banking model, which is essentially how most banks operate in the world, is kind of, I think, under pressure. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it kind of papers over the risks that exist Um, you know, banks are lending out our deposits, but only keeping a fraction of them on hand in in case we want to withdraw them. So it brings into focus this idea of deposit protection. That's what deposit protection is there for. But a lot of um, people are now sort of saying, okay, this model, there's no real alternatives because that's how banks provide credit. But there are sort of newer models emerging where they sort of are keeping 100% of client deposits available and unleveraged. Um, They're held at the sort of Bank of England. 
So I think there's sort of some alternatives. Some of the crypto firms that I spoke to for my cover story, now a lot of people are like, oh, crypto. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> but they were saying there was really, in my story, there was a lot of the banks saying how they differentiate themselves is because they're protected and better regulated than a lot of these new entrants. But then recently during the banking saga, I think we saw, we did see the flight to quality, but it didn't always mean going to a traditional bank. So in the crypto space, they actually went into more volatile assets because they didn't feel that banks were safe anymore. So some of the, I mean, this wasn't a generic trend, but some people in the sort of crypto space went into Bitcoin or Ether or even into other stable coins. So there's some suggestion that this idea that banks are safe, they're the only custodians or safe havens, they're not sure that that completely holds true anymore. But, I mean, ultimately, with all the banking sagas, you know, the, the depositors were taken care of. You know, it wasn't, it, it, at the end of the day, although you had a weekend of, terror the deposits were taken care of they made the exception though didn't they they went beyond the deposit insurance and extended it to even those deposits that weren't covered so i think you know it raises the question of is does the sort of deposit protection give the banks a license to take risks mm. and do yeah. what they like with our deposits but if you look at i mean it's interesting you, you started off talking a little bit about um, you know, e-money providers and, you know, especially this is well known what's going on in, in Africa. 60% of the population is um, unbanked and M-Pesa is, is a long, you know, you know, held up as a, an example of a, of a, a service outside the banking uh, industry that, that serves a community. But that's very much, I mean, you know, with our, your own lives, people want to see money in their account from their salary that they can take to Tesco, right? But when I'm talking about understanding what banks are in a wider sense, yes, banks take deposits, but they also make loans. You know, if you look at the history of Credit Suisse, it was formed basically to finance the public train system in Switzerland. You know, how many dozens and dozens of years ago? I don't have total recall, but eventually when it was, you know, so that like our crypto is is Ether going to fund? You know, a bullet train in France. This is the banks have a, a larger role in society in terms of financing and funding and lending outside of making sure that you can buy a round in the pub every Friday. Of course, and I think everybody acknowledges that, but they're saying that the current system is extremely, extremely levered and there are inherent risks in that fractional reserve banking model. And I'm not sure the general public really understands that. Um, and I'm not sure they also sort of understand the risks posed by these new entrants as well, who kind of, as I said, look and feel like a bank. I mean, there's an increased regulatory focus on e-money institutions, which I'm sure you've discussed in previous episodes with the Dear CEO letters. Uh, I think in this review that we, that we see is happening as a result of the banking saga, I think they also need to look at non-banks who increasingly look like banks in terms of what they're offering because even though e-money institutions are meant to hold client monies in a segregated account with a third party or custodian 
if something happens to that third party or custodian, those deposits are at risk and they're not guaranteed under a deposit guarantee scheme. So I think we're seeing new risks emerging. Mm -hmm. A new global examination of, of what banks are. It's interesting. So uh, uh, Joy McKnight, our editor, her blog is out this week, and it's called The Time for Reflection After the Banking Sector Strife. And basically, it's kind of looking at um, how this high interest rate world we are in now is will impact um, emerging markets. So she cites a, a recent report by S&P Global Ratings calling attention to the vulnerabilities in emerging market banking systems from tighter international financing conditions, as I mentioned before, ushered in by higher for longer rates. The financing conditions are becoming increasingly restrictive with rising costs and weaker liquidity, especially affecting the emerging markets. And they um, really kind of zeroed in on five emerging economies, which are Egypt, Indonesia, Qatar, Tunisia, and Turkey. So, yeah, this is... It's not over yet. We're in a br brave new world. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, so the banking saga will continue. Um, and more on doom and gloom. You requested this story. I know, but poor TSB. TSB Bank for, uh, uh, Building Society, the CIO has been fined uh, for the IT meltdown that happened last year. So um, TSB was hit with a 50 million pound fine for failings during its IT migration last year. So that was at the end of last year. And now uh, their former CIO, Carlos uh, Abacra, I am really bad. Please send hate mail to me. CIO Carlos Abacra, the PRA, said the action uh, has been taken, emphasizes the importance of ensuring the senior individuals in a firm take re reasonable steps to ensure that the firm complies with the relevant regulatory requirements and standards in compliance with senior manager conduct rules. We're talking a lot about conduct recently in all aspects. So what do you think of this, finding the, the former CIO as well? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? My understanding is that this is an exceptional fine, particularly given that it's regarding the management of an outsourced IT deployment. It's also, I think, rare for a fine to be issued under the senior manager's regime, which, by the way, we wrote. I wrote a story a couple of months ago about the Edinburgh reforms, and that is one of the UK gold-plated reforms that is under review. Most people feel that it works well. It, it was introduced after the last global financial crisis, as a lot of regulation was, and meant to set you know, make senior managers accountable. But they also need to be certified. So there's also a certification regime. And I think most people feel that's a bit slow. It takes a long time to get senior managers certified. Um, but it's interesting. This took place in 2018. And you're kind of wondering why they're doing it now. I know that there's kind of, especially this is a remnant of the 2008 financial crisis, this idea to find a person to blame you know, like they, people want someone to hang. I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because when you you see from the loss for crisis, I mean, did a lot of were a lot of bank managers sort of sent to court or go to jail? No. And then you also look at anti money laundering. A lot of banks that sort of were very naughty and got into trouble, huge fines, but mm. nobody is kind of 
ultimately accountable in the sense of a CEO of a bank. So I think, is this a shift in regulation? Mm. And I'm wondering why they're doing it now. Do you think the banking saga may have something to do with it? I think this has probably been in, in works before the banking saga. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, you know, he's being fined £81,620 uh, uh, pounds, uh, for, for his part in the, in, in the, in the catastrophic migration. Um, I think I, this wasn't something I think they cooked up last week. This has probably been a long time so that, you know, like a, you know, you look at any court case, you've got to, I think they have to have uh, justification for this fine. Yeah. But I, I still wonder why it's taken them this long to fine, fine him. It happened in 2018 and we understand that it was, a, you know, the bank, there were problems for customers for months. This wasn't just, you know. Well, the, 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 the bank fine only happened last year. Right. In December. There must have been a very long um, investigation. Investigation. <laughs> okay, there we go. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going on to the banker site. We're going to stories that are on the banker site right now. So there is, we're still, we're staying in the UK again. Uh, UK regulators shake up financial services with a new bill. Uh, the UK banking sector is expressing conscious, cautious optimism about the latest UK financial services and markets bill, which is the first major shakeup of the UK financial services law since the last such act was passed more than 20 years ago. So this bill really focuses a lot on climate change, but it also fo focuses on crypto. So the bill also brings cryptocurrencies within the UK regulatory framework for the first time, a shift described as a great step forward uh, by Rowan Bozell, digital bank specialist at Persistent Systems. I guess that was from an article. Oh, that was from the article that's on the banker site. Liz, I'm telling you, send hate mail to Liz Lumley at myemail.com. Um, so, yeah, we're bringing crypto under the regula regulatory regime. I, I have a lot to say, but I'm going to give you a chance first because I have a rant coming. Well, I mean, this has been on the cards for a while, hasn't mm -hmm. it? Um, I think I'll let you have your rant first. <laughs> I was going to end with my rant. Anyway, so um, crypto is here to stay. Um, it, it, it's a very, it's a very uh, interesting financial innovation. Blockchain is an interesting um, infrastructure innovation. Um, I have no love for the whole crypto bro culture, but I mean, getting mad at blockchain for that is like getting mad at an Excel spreadsheet because you don't like insurance companies. Um, so it is here to stay. But what's interesting, and we talked about this last week on the podcast, and it does emanate a lot from the United States, the um, politicizing cryptocurrencies, right? And so there are a lot of countries around the world that are either um, started or investigating or looking at developing central bank digital currencies. Now, at this point, the libertarian arm, should I say, of the, of the crypto world gets very, very upset with issues about identity and privacy. And I, I heard one, one crypto bro a few weeks ago say, you know, the, the government could decide to turn the money off if they don't like what I'm spending on. Yeah. <laughs> got, okay, I've got, so what's interesting, I'm trying not to get too much about American politics, um, but as I mentioned before, I'm a big observer of crypto Twitter. I do not get involved. Just watch it. 
But there's a guy I follow. His name is James Webster, uh, and he's a tech analyst uh, for Javelin Strategy, and he's based in uh, Texas. And he said some um, he said some tweets that I quite like. And he said, again, for the kids in the back, be against FedNow for any number of reasons. Be against central bank digital currencies. Be against crypto, but be against whatever your heart wants to be against. But please learn a little about them before you conflate them. This is getting old. And I have seen this. FedNow is uh, U the U.S.'s um, attempt at instant payments. Uh, instant payments are all around the world. Of course, the granddaddy of instant payments we know is in the U.K. It has absolutely nothing to do with cryptocurrencies. But, of course, you mentioned the Federal Reserve. Uh, and, in fact, the Federal Reserve itself in the U.S., in, the, in 1913, during the reforms, is deliberately decentralized, which is why there's a Federal Reserve Bank of New York and a Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. And a because there is this kind of cautious wariness of having too much centralized control over things in the U.S. I think you raise an interesting point. Mm. The financial system used to be de decentralized. Mm. It almost seems like we're going full circle again. <laughs> yes. And regulation was introduced to save the banks from themselves to a mm -hmm. certain extent. Because mm. there was a lot of risk within the system. Exactly. And during the 1930s depression, you saw the um, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation scheme um, come into being. I think I read some amazing statistic about 9,000 banks failed or something. <laughs> like well, banks fail all the time. There's, <laughs> there are so many banks in the U.S., so many community banks. Yeah, they're tiny. But, I mean, to go on, go on, on my Twitter rant. Um, so he quote tweeted uh, a guy named Brett Scott, which I have not looked up to find out whether he's a good guy. But anyway, um, it, he said, I got to say, I'm getting tired of the libertarians losing their shit. Sorry. Sorry, Joy. But it's in the tweet uh, over a form of digital money that doesn't exist yet while being seemingly relaxed about the vast system of corporate digital payments that's actually enclosing our lives. Um, yeah. So they make a point that if you're concerned about privacy and the government knowing how you spend your money, you know, the barn door has been open on that for a very long time. They don't need a cryptocurrency to do that. It's it's everywhere. Contactless payments. <laughs> I know. People just need to just calm the flipping egg down. That's my rant. I'm over. Okay, say what you want to say. <laughs> I think it's interesting. In relation to CBDCs, when I was doing my um, What is a Bank story, and I hadn't really thought of this, but there is a sort of issue around will CBDCs take commercial deposits away from from banks? Mm. And the European Central Bank has said, oh, well, that's fine. We've got that covered. We're going to put a limit on how much CBDC you can hold. But when I was talking to a legal eagle for, for my story, they were saying that these CBDCs, if there was potentially a run, like we saw with the banking saga, mm. There was a flight to quality. What if everybody, f what if that flight to quality was CBDCs held at the central bank? Mm, I've, I've read that. Yeah, I've seen that. So that means that those deposits that banks rely on, that makes them different from non-banks, and those deposits that they use to lend and create credit would be at risk. And what happens if a central bank ups that limit? So you're able to hold more CBDCs. I can hear the conspiracy theorists putting it together now. There was, there was the, the bank run was planned. It was all the central banks planned to take our money. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, we don't want to espouse conspiracy theories here, but no. <laughs> just letting people know what people are, are telling us. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The banking saga continues. Um, so, yes, thank you very much, Anita, for joining me again. Remember to tune in every week to get your fix of stories from The Banker uh, or more podcasts from The Banker po podcast portfolio. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more. <laughs>